Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lever Ball Show. And my guest on this episode is Nate Boyer. And Nate can pretty much say he's done everything in his life at this point. Nate is a uh, U.S. Army veteran um, and served in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, he also played football at the highest level with both the Seattle Seahawks and University of Texas. And he's also done a lot in the worlds of acting and film and also most recently reality television. And uh, Nate, you know, we were just talking uh, right before we started recording about, um, you know, what you've been doing most recently. I know you have an interesting background involved in a lot of different things, but, uh, you know, what can you tell everyone about your new reality show, Survive the Raft? Yeah, Survive the Raft is, uh, you know, it's based on a, a social experiment that was conducted 50 years ago. Uh, in 1973, this anthropologist uh, named Santiago Henaves, he put 10 people on a raft. Uh, and it's a big raft. It's 60 by 40 foot. It's metal. Um, but it's a raft. And they floated from the Canary Islands in Spain to Mexico. The trip took 101 days uh, across the Atlantic. It was, you know, pretty, pretty wild experience. And these 10 people he put on the raft were from all walks of life, culture, custom, religion, politics, race, you could, you know, they couldn't be more different. Just wanted to see if these people could put aside their differences and work together to survive the trip, you know? And, uh, and it was, it was, there was absolute chaos that ensued when this happened. Uh, they did make it, but it's a, it's a pretty wild uh, story in itself. So we recreated this experience or this experiment, I guess, 50 years later, um, you know, in the midst of another kind of divisive time back in 1973, there was the, you know, the end of the Vietnam War and Watergate, Roe versus Wade, all these things were happening. And now a lot of those similar themes are back. And uh, so what we did with the show is uh, we're not in the Atlantic Ocean, we're in the Pacific Ocean, off the coast of Panama in the Pearl Islands. And uh, we put 10 people on a raft with very different backgrounds to see if they could work together to not only survive the experiment and the experience, but win some money. You know, there's uh, uh, there's that element to it as well. It is a competition series uh, wrapped in a social experiment. And yeah, the, the uh, pilot just released last Sunday. So um, it's available now to, you can, you can catch up on it. You know, if you miss any of the episodes, you can catch up on them uh, streaming on Max. Uh, but also every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, they they uh, premiere on Discovery. So, yeah, it's a cool show. Uh, definitely check it out. I hosted it. And, you know, they wanted me to host it because of my background and just being around different groups of people, different locker rooms, different experiences and having to have, you know, some of these conversations with with different people uh, and, and with very different, you know, beliefs. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it sounds like that's something that, you know, with your background would be a good fit for you, both with, you know, playing football and also, you know, in the military, um, you know, when you're part of a group, um, you know, obviously the, the group isn't going to be as productive if people can't get on the same page. And, you know, specifically with football, I mean, there are lots of different team sports, but, you know, a lot of people say that football is one of the most diverse sports. And, you know, like if you look at an NFL locker room, there are guys there with such different childhoods and such different, you know, personal beliefs and, and different backgrounds. So I think, you right. know, your, your background with, um, you know, football and the military definitely would, uh, you know, prepare you well for that type of show. But, um, you know, also kind of kind of backpedaling a little bit. Um, you know, I mentioned your, your background in uh, the military and in football, but 
you actually joined the military first. Um, you know, right. there have been guys, I mean, obviously probably one of the most famous ones to come to mind would be Pat Tillman, who who played in the NFL and then joined the military. But you actually, um, you know, joined the military out of high school. And then it was after your time in, in the military that you walked on to the football team at, at Texas and then eventually went on to the Seahawks. And I'm just curious, you know, when you're getting out of high school and kind of thinking about what you wanted to do long term and, and thinking about, you know, maybe enlisting in the military, did you see things, you know, un, you know, unfolding the way they have and eventually getting back into football? Or maybe was that something that even you didn't anticipate at the time? Yeah, I mean, that I mean, I never I never played growing up, you know, so it was it was kind of a new venture, you know getting have the opportunity to even try out and play um you know when i was upon joining the military that, that wasn't really something i was thinking that was going to happen it just it was like a regret that i had that i'd never done it and uh coming off of active duty i just wanted to give it a shot you know so i started training while i was in iraq actually i was practicing you know football drills and running routes and trying to learn how to backpedal and all that stuff and Came back to the States and and uh, got into UT and, you know, went down to Austin and just went to tryouts. And because I was in good condition, uh, you know, they put me on the scout team for that first year. And then later that, that uh, I guess during bowl practices, um, I started long snapping, uh, practicing it, trying to learn it, just find a way on the field. And eventually uh, became the backup by the time the season rolled around. Um, and then after the first game, I got a chance to start and started for the next three years at Texas, uh, which led to that opportunity, uh, although short lived, uh, that opportunity in the NFL. Yeah, well, that's that's an awesome story. And it's interesting, you know, with any type of specialist, whether it's a long snapper or a punter or a kicker, like how they got into it. You know, it's also, you know, with like a lot of punters and kickers I've talked to, um, you know, they they may have, you know, played soccer or played a different position on the football field. And it's interesting, right. you know, in your case, you mentioned you didn't play in high school and, and you learned to, to long snap. But it's interesting some of the backgrounds that, you know, specialists have, whether it's snapping, you know, kicking or punting. Um, but then, you know, obviously, you know, I mentioned um, your time with the Seahawks um, as well. And then, you know, you've been involved still, you know, in the football world, um, you know, since uh, you finished up with the Seahawks, um, you know, there was obviously it was highly publicized. You were friends with Colin Kaepernick and advised him during his, his peaceful protest. I, I had a, a chance to talk to you about that a little bit. Um, you know, when I interviewed you on the Levin Marcus show, uh, it was a little over a year ago, the, the podcast that I did with the uh, retired NFL player Marcus Ogden. But you know, I'm curious since since we we first talked. You know, have you had a chance to keep in touch with Colin? And you know, how's he doing? Yeah, I mean, I haven't talked to him since 2017. I don't think so. I have no idea uh, in that regard. Uh, but you know, I, I know I think he's got a documentary coming out um, with Spike Lee that he did. I think it's coming out this fall, pretty soon. Um, maybe even damn, maybe even next month. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we stayed in touch through the 2016 season after I'd met with him and, you know, he, uh, made the de decision to start taking a knee instead of sitting. And that was kind of through our conversation. Um, and then yeah, through that season into the super bowl, 
uh, I guess, February of 2017. And that was probably about the last time. I mean, there was a lot going on in his world, you know, and and uh, he was trying to get back in the league and obviously was uh, up, you know, received a bunch of awards from, you know, places like the Sports Illustrated and Amnesty International and all these other things. And then just had all this, you know, his the, the movement he had sort of started was taking flight and, and um, yeah, he's just had kind of become a full-fledged uh, activist really at that time. Um, and was very focused on that. So I completely understand why, you know, we kind of sort of lost touch or whatever. Um, but, you know, I would like to stay, I would like to stay, uh, in contact with him and I'd love to check in and see how he's doing and, uh, um, uh, you know, catch up and all that stuff, but it's been, yeah, it's been a long time and, um, you know, always wish the best for him and, you know, was, was unfortunate. Didn't, uh, end up getting, it didn't end up working out as far as, uh, playing again. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a complicated story. There's so many pieces to it, you know, and I've heard so many different versions of things and from so many different perspectives, people involved in it. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's very, it's a very interesting dynamic. I mean, the, you know, the Raiders um, were one of those teams, I think it was even last year or the year before that it seemed like they were considering it. You know, I, I, I think uh, unless I'm mistaken, I think that was just recently. Um, you know, they had, uh, yeah, they, they, did they have him out to the facility and work him out or was it just, I cumbersome? think he did. Yeah. I think he did a, a no pads throwing workout. Mm. Yeah. So I wasn't, and it, it seemed like everyone was like, oh, they're going to sign him, you know, or not everyone, but I was just reading that places. And maybe that was just, um, tabloids doing what they do. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, but I didn't talk anybody, you know, I've not spoken to anybody in the Raiders organization about any of that, uh, how, close they were to actually uh, making that move um but uh but yeah it was uh it was certainly it's certainly an ongoing story and and i mean he's etched a, a place in history and you know uh i think a lot of people changed their tune that were not uh willing to listen to him or or were pretty frustrated with him especially after george floyd and the protests of 2020 um it seemed like a kind of a a backtrack and a back uh sort of a um an adjustment there made by a lot of a lot of folks you know what i mean and a lot of you know big of course big the big companies and corporations come out then and all of a sudden they're you know all in on it and it's like okay are you serious right now or are you just trying to you know uh, capitalize on a movement you know and that's so that's always something that's a little you know <laughs> we're seeing that now again, you know, with stuff happening around, um, you know, the LGBTQ uh, community and some of a lot of these brands all of a sudden are, you know, are, oh, we stand with this and we stand with that. And it's like, well, I mean, did you stand against those things before? Like, why do you have to say that? Like, why, you know, it's, it's such an interesting thing, but it, it there was definitely that element in 2020, um, after George Floyd and everything. And, and it, you know, it seemed like there was, uh, maybe some, almost like owed apologies or apologies made towards Colin. I, I don't, I don't know. I would love to hear his perspective on all that though. Well, you know, you mentioned how some corporations and different organizations, you know, will initially not support a movement and then jump on board. And I think with any highly debated topic, there are going to be people on one side and people on another side, but I think there are also a fair number of people who aren't really on a side and just want to go with the popular opinion. And so, you know, you mentioned like what happened with with George Floyd, how 
Colin Kaepernick's movement was more understood when that happened and, and became more popular and more mainstream. And so the kind of the, the fence sitters who just want to please everyone, I think, initially wanted nothing to do with him and and kind of jumped on board with this movement. And I mean, you know, also, I want to ask you about, um, you know, more about your work with, um, you know, merging vets with players. But one other thing on, on that topic is, you know, you'd mentioned how you had initially recommended that Colin Neal instead of, instead of sitting, that that would be more respectful. But, you know, obviously he was the first one to start doing it. But right after, you know, the video of George Floyd being murdered went viral, I remember it was almost the entire um, U.S. women's national soccer team. They were the first team to play after that. And like almost the entire team kneeled. You know, when, when Kaepernick was doing it, you know, you usually see him kneeling with a bunch of players around him standing, you know, but yeah. did you think that it would become mainstream and that there'd be lots of people doing it? Or did you just think it was something he was going to do when you gave him advice on it? Yeah, no, I mean, and I think I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the first game, I think just Megan Rapino. No. And then maybe the next game. A lot maybe I'm maybe I'm misremembering which game it was. I remember seeing a picture of like a bunch yeah. of like, maybe it was no, like, no, no, you're not wrong. You're not yeah. wrong. I'm just trying to remember yeah. if like, I feel like in my I could be wrong too. Uh, and I'm definitely wrong a little bit every day. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I I think she had done it first, I think. And then or maybe she'd maybe she had spoken out in support of and then the team did it. But anyways, yeah, you're not wrong. And then then you see before every game in like uh I don't know which league it's in in Europe. Um, it may be the it may be the Premier um, League. I, I can't remember, but you know, teams both teams it was it became a thing. Both teams would take a knee uh, and have a moment of silence for the game. You know, in in honor of that. So that's super interesting. And yeah, no, I, I don't think Colin had any idea uh, that it would. And maybe I'm wrong that it would blow up in that way and sort of expand internationally. I absolutely had no clue. Um, and didn't think, I mean, when we were sitting in the lobby of the team hotel with Eric Reed and just having a conversation about this whole situation, yeah, I, I had no idea it would, um, be something I'm sitting here talking about seven years later, much less something that kind of gained the international, um, ground, you know, not just attention, but like people would become involved and uh, other voices would speak out. It was pretty, it's pretty incredible what he started, what Colin started. Yeah, there's no question about it. And I guess, you know, maybe some people, if they're passionate about certain things, they're maybe intimidated to speak out about it because they're they don't know how things will turn out. And like you said, you guys had no idea how things would turn out with that movement. Um, but yeah, but it's definitely um, you know, become more and more mainstream. But then, you know, also, you know, I mentioned, you know, it was not long after you got out of the NFL when you you advised Colin, but you've also done a lot of work with your uh your organization merging vets with players. Yeah, uh, and you know what can you tell anyone who's not familiar with the organization about exactly you know what you guys do and you know how you help veterans? Yeah, at, at MVP, which stands for Merging Vets and Players, we bring together combat vets and former professional athletes, and we help them find purpose and identity when they lose the uniform. Um, you know, I myself spent time in both of those locker rooms. I was I was you know in the military for roughly ten years. Um, those last four years being in the National Guard while I was at University of Texas. So I was in both locker rooms at that time and then military ended and I had the opportunity in Seattle with the Seahawks. And, and then when I got cut from the Seahawks, uh, I was 34 years old and I felt like I, you know, peaked and, 
I didn't know what to do next. And like, wow, you know, will I ever be great again? Will I, will I ever be a part of something like this? I don't know. Um, and so, you know, you find yourself searching for things and, and, uh, and I think I'm very lucky to have the type of, uh, I don't know, I guess mentality, uh, of not wanting to just rest on my laurels and not wanting to talk about the past, but focus more on the future and what's next. And so, uh, you know, I, I become good friends with Jay Glazer, who's a, you know, Fox sports personality and been around the fight game and the football uh, world for quite some time. And, and also has great respect for the military community. Uh, and, you know, he was, he was there in New York on nine 11. And so there's just a lot of a tie-in between uh, some of his experiences and mine, although they're very different backgrounds. Like we just, you know, we, we, we think sim- similarly about these people and understanding that they need uh they need that tribe they need the continued uh that locker another locker room you know they lose the identity the identity with the uniform but they're still that same person so we started mvp and you know we, we have eight chapters now around the country in eight different cities uh they happen to be nfl cities as well uh and what we do on a weekly basis we meet up in the gym vets and athletes together we train together then we huddle up and it's peer-to-peer coaching you know it's an open forum nothing's off the table and uh we just help each other through it you know as jay says we we walk that walk together well i think it's interesting though the the similarity between you know what it's like to leave the military what it's like to leave sports um you know like pro athletes go through that when they retire there are also lots of you know like division one college athletes who don't make the pros and are a little spooked out by transitioning into the corporate world. And then, like you said, also transitioning out of the military, um, you know, there's that maybe a little bit of identity crisis for some veterans trying to figure out what they want to do next. And I mean, in your case, you experience both, you know, transitioning away from sports and transitioning away from the military. Um, But, you know, I guess, um, how do you balance all these different things? You know, you're doing reality TV, you know, you've done movies, um, you know, you work with your foundation, um, you know, do you, do you ever sleep? I guess that's what people want to know. Listening to this podcast. I definitely sleep, you know, I don't sleep as much as I'd like to, but I do sleep. I, I when you do, when you, when you, when you choose to pursue that many things and sort of have that kind of up tempo in your life, you got to make sacrifices in other places, which unfortunately are not always fun sacrifices to make. So, you know, maybe, maybe I could be a better friend, a better family member. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a single guy. I've never been married, don't have kids and stuff like that, but I do want that, you know, and I'm 42. So it's like getting to that point where, you know, kind of trying to shift my thinking and be open to that stuff because I also want that, but it's tough to do both. And so you, you do have to make those sacrifices. And uh, I mean, you mentioned it with, with, you know, make, making movies. I, I, uh, there is a, I would love people to check this out if they have the opportunity, but go, Go watch the MVP movie. That was the first film I directed. Hopefully not the last. Um, we, we shot it about two and a half years ago in the middle of the pandemic. And it came out on Veterans Day. Uh, so it's available. You can watch it on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Showtime, uh, and, and various other places. But, you know, when that, when that was going on, it was like I had no life outside of that for the, you know, the two months of pre-production and filming it. And then the additional eight, nine months of editing it and post-production. And it's, you know, uh, things, 
other parts of my life struggled, you know what I mean? And it was like having MVP, the organization was such a blessing. I'm so lucky to have that, that team behind me and that group to, you know, to know I've got a place I can go every week and kind of just let it out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Cause you get wound up and stuff. And and with the MVP movie, you know, I mean, I co-wrote it, I produced it. I, uh, you know, I acted in it, I, I directed it and it was all because we had no money. <laughs> so I didn't have to pay those people. Uh, but it, it, uh, you know, it, it was also such an important story and it was like, it felt very, so much pressure to not let people down in the way that it's told and all that. And it just weighs on you and you just feel like, well, I, I don't have time for me, I don't have time to do these other, you know, to just go have a good time or, you know, kind of be there for other people in my life that aren't in this MVP world right now. And, um, and that's not, that's not a good balance. So like, I'm, I'm trying to learn that I'm trying to work on that because I still have a lot of growing to do and, and learning to do just like everybody does. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad I can recognize that, but it doesn't make it easier necessarily to work on. <laughs> I still, you know, it's, it's tough, man. Like that's life though. I mean, I, I can't complain if these are first world problems that I'm having right now. So very lucky to have, this is the issues I'm dealing with, you know, and it's not lack of clean water or food or medical care or clothes or shelter, you know, I've got all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we all, we've all got stuff that's going on in our life. We've all got things we struggle with and um, making sure we're taking care uh, of ourselves in that, that way. Not just like when I say, take care of yourself, I'm not saying like just constantly, you know, going on trips and buying stuff. And it's like, you know, feeding, feeding that part of you. <laughs> it's the other part of you, you know, being of service, being there for other people, um, not making it always about you and what you need, you know, sometimes it's about what other people need a hundred percent. And, and yeah, so it's like that, I think that continuing to try to find that balance is one of the number one things I'm, I'm been focusing on amidst all this other stuff going on. <laughs> uh, but it's tough. It's tough. Uh, but I enjoy it. I mean, I chose it, all these things I'm doing, I chose to do, and I do enjoy them. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just, that's just, that's just, that's just life. Like there's never, the grass seems to be always a little bit greener other places, you know, no matter what you're doing. And I think continuing to just recognize that is helping me, <laughs> you know, accept that like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Cause I always say that to people and it's easy to coach, but it's hard to execute <laughs> and believe for yourself. So yeah, that's some of the work I'm, I'm focused on right now. I mean, no, you made a lot of great points there though. And, and yeah, it's so funny how, it's easier to to give certain advice than than live in. Even if there's advice you give a friend, it's still hard to to live that yourself. And a relatable also, you know, like you mentioned with film and reality TV and everything, how sometimes you have to neglect other parts of your life. I mean, that's definitely true for me. Like when I first tried to break into sports broadcasting, pretty much everything else had to be put on the back burner for me to survive and and you know, in this industry. And I think anyone who's really into their career can, can probably relate to that. Um, but, uh, Nate, you know, I really appreciate you, uh, joining me on the podcast. Um, before we wrap up, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, everyone should definitely check out, um, you know, survive the raft. You mentioned also, um, the, uh, the, the MVP movie as well. Um, people definitely check that out and where, um, you know, where can subscribers of this podcast, 
keep up with you. You know, are you going to be on any other podcasts in your future? What are your social media handles? Where can people uh, keep up with the life of Nate Boyer? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a decent amount of stuff in the media space. And I know that'll continue as the as Survive the Raft continues. I think we've got a couple more months of of the show, and then you know, who knows? There may be an after show, and you know, we'll figure all that out. But uh, but I'm available. You know, I'm on social media, social media at Nate Boyer 37. I got a website as well, uh, nateboyer.org, if you want to reach out and connect. Um, and uh, and then, you know, go to vetsandplayers.org as well. I think that's more important, you know, merging vets and players. Uh, that's the our website, vetsandplayers.org. And, there, you know, if you, if you know vets and athletes in your world, if you are a veteran athlete, um definitely connect with us. And, you know, if you want to give, or if you want to um, just keep, you know, abreast of all of our events going on and, and engage with us, like we'd love nothing more. All righty. Well, everyone, once again, thank you for tuning in and thank you to Nate Boyer for joining us. You've been listening to the Lever Ball Show.